Now, have you ever driven down a lonely road late at night trying to calm your mind? Have you ever gotten so lost in thought that you lost your way? How'd you get back home? Who comes to save us when we lose ourselves? The story comes to us from the wilds of rural Montana. I was an EMT, which is the emergency medical technician in Dillon, Montana. This story takes place on New Year's Eve, 1987. I was having dinner with my boyfriend at that time. His name was Hank. And uh, we were having New Year's Eve dinner. I was on call 24-7, and so I just wore a pager all the time. And I got a page, and the page said, man down in alley. And so I immediately responded, and I said I had to go on this call. So I got to the young man. He was about 14 years old, and he was having seizures. The boy had freckles. He was a red-headed, green-eyed boy. So we were trying to contain him enough to protect him. But he was 14. He was a pretty good-sized boy. And it took a lot of the police, and these guys are big guys, to control his bodies enough that we could strap him down. We transport him to the hospital, which was about three minutes away. And they immediately did uh, blood tests, and they came back and told us that uh, there was cocaine in his system, and they said there must have been something else in there, laced it with something, and that they were going to keep him, you know, put him in ICU right away. And actually, as I'm thinking about this, I remember with that boy making eye contact with him at one time. And uh, he knew he wasn't going to be okay. He knew. And yet we went for it anyway. We did everything to save that boy's life. Even though his body was still there... There was something missing. He wasn't dead. His body was alive, but his soul had already moved on. So I'm going to ask you just to imagine that it was New Year's Eve in your life, and you had just seen a young boy in grandma's seizures, and then you find out that the reason this boy is so seriously ill is because he got some cocaine that was laced with something, would you get mad? Especially if you knew that the man that possibly brought in the drugs was your boyfriend. When I went home, I just couldn't sleep because I knew that Hank was bringing in drugs. And I, I, it was just so upsetting to me that perhaps that boy got one of his drugs. 
I, I went to bed for a little bit. It's about three o'clock in the morning, and I, start, I got in my car, and that's one way that I can calm my little spirit is by going into nature, going for a drive. It's cold, it's dark, and in Montana, these old roads, I mean, they're just two-lane highways, and I just headed to where I knew where it was always calming for me, which was Yellowstone Park, which was about three hours away. So it was a nice little drive. I probably hit there maybe 5.30 in the morning or something. It was still dark, and, and I remember turning off and then I just went, wow, this road doesn't seem like the same place that I usually go. It was cold. It was very cold, and there was probably about two and a half, three feet of snow. I think the biggest thing I was thinking was I knew that they were bringing those drugs in, and it, it made me very mad and... So my mind was really playing tapes of, if I did this, I could do this. If I did that, I could do this. I realized I was lost uh, probably about an hour up the road. And it was just, the wind was shaking the car when I was driving. It was just blowing so hard, this blizzard. And it was like I knew I couldn't try and turn around because I would get stuck. And then I went, man, this is not good. Um, as I'm driving, the snow is literally just coming over the car. It was so deep, I was pushing through it, and it was coming over the top of the car. And I reached down into my jockey box to see if I had any food, and I had a half a piece of gum. And I didn't have any water. I didn't have any other food. I still had about a half a tank of gas or so, and, and I decided that if I would stop and then just turn the engine off until I, you know, got really cold, and then I would start it up, I probably had enough gas for about six hours. I don't even know where I am, and there is so much snow, and the blizzard is happening. If this continues, my car will be completely covered. They won't find me. And... I went, this is it. This is where I'm gonna this is where I'm gonna die. And I just kept thinking about my daughter Brandy. And then I heard a truck come up behind me. And um this guy pulls up, he's got this about a, I think it was about a sixty Ford pickup. Now blue and white. He had a cowboy hat on, he's got the guns in the back. I would say he was probably in his 50s. He, he was really tall, and he had a brown hat, and his hair was kind of that dirty, blondy brown. It was all straggling. He had a beard and, and uh, blue jeans, and his face was full of wrinkles. And he just said, what in the hell are you doing out here? And started yelling at me, and, and I'm like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing out here. 
I think I told him, I think I'm lost. And and he, he just kept asking me, who are you? Who are you? And I was trying to tell him who I was, but he wouldn't listen to me. He just kept on, who are you? Who are, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I really started getting scared because he was getting pretty loud, you know, and the rifles are in the truck. And he looked at my plates. He says, you're from Montana. I said, yeah. And he says, well, do you even know where you are? And I said, I have no clue. And he says, well, you're in Idaho. And he said, I'll, I'll follow you, and I'm going to show you how to get out of here. And <laughs> so I got my car and I started driving, and there's still no road. And he was so close to me that I could, I could see him. He had green eyes. They were emerald green eyes. And he was right on my tail. And then he starts honking his horn, just laying on his horn, so I stop. And he walks up to my car, and he and he says, "Okay, down there, you're gonna do you see the telephone post?" And I could see him in the distance. And he says, "Just follow the fence line." And you could see a fence line down there. And he says, "It'll get you to that town." And then he says, "There's a gas station down there. Go to the house and lock on the door in the back of the gas station, and they'll help you." And I got in the car, and I'm driving, and he's right on my butt again. I was watching where I was going, but also watching him. And then he just vanished, just disappeared. And I, I thought, well, he must have taken a road or went off the road, you know, off somewhere. And so I stopped, and I got out, and... And then I backed up a little bit because it was like, where could have he gone? He just disappeared. There was no sign. And then I looked down, and there was only one set of tracks. And they were my car tracks. There was no other car tracks. There were no truck tracks. This is weird. Like, how could that have happened? Because I know he was there. I never touched him, and he never touched me, but I could smell his breath. I, you know, it, I could feel the heat coming off his body. He was so close to me. For him just to vanish like that, it was like, what could have that have been? I got chicken skin, you know, like, I, I, even though he was really angry, that man was really angry at me, there was a genuine caring about me. I remember looking into his eyes and wondering, where, where did he come from? And then I remembered that boy. And he had the same kind of eyes. They were green, although the little boy's eyes were all bloodshot and stuff. It was like the same eyes, same color eyes, that, that emerald green. Oh my God, it was the spirit of that boy. And I know that's who came. 
I got back in my car after checking out the car track thing and um, headed headed towards the telephone post. And I got to a little town called Dubois, and I stopped and went to the house, knocked on the door. They gave me some gas, and then I headed back to my brother's house where they were having a New Year's Day party. Big thanks to Dr. Valerie Simonson for sharing your story with Snap. You can find Valerie's story in the book Trucker Ghost Stories. We'll have a link on our website, spookpodcast.org. That original score was by Leon Morimoto. The story was produced by Eliza Smith. 